Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. I don't know if you were with us last week, but if you weren't with us last week, I don't always do this, but I will plug it today. Uh, go back online and listen to last week's message. I, I really just, um, I really enjoyed getting the chance to start this new sermon series. We are in the book of John. You're not far behind if you're with us for the first time or if you weren't here last week, because this, this is only the second sermon in this long series that we're going to be a part of. But we're going to go through the entire book of John between now and the end of the school year. We're going to get all the way through the end, through, through the book of John, and we're trusting God to just kind of walk us through these scriptures. And as we go through these scriptures, we're seeking to just understand a bit more of, uh, uh, of how the gospel of John kind of directs our lives. So if you were with us last week, you'll remember I talked a lot about the fact that the gospel of John uh, was written by by an eyewitness. John was an eyewitness of Jesus. He declared that, that he, was, uh, he was the beloved. He was Jesus's best friend. And, and I kind of gave that illustration, like, remember how you would talk about your best friend if you were going to start talking about your best friend, and, and you would be glowing about it, and you would have stories that maybe not everybody would remember. You would remember details about those stories that, that were so significant to you because it was your best friend that, that maybe, you know, were kind of overshadowed in other people's tellings of the same stories. And so we kind of walk through the first 18 chapters of John. Well, today we're going to finish out John chapter 1, and uh, we'll go 19 to the end of the chapter. And so if you're with me in John chapter 1, let me hear you say amen. amen. If you're not there, you just tell me you need more time. Okay, it sounds like everybody must have been there. So we're going to be in John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Father God, as we begin to read and see from your word, I pray, Lord God, that you would just uh, awaken our hearts, God. Allow us to see the way in which John tells these stories that just uh, capture us and remind us, and today specifically to be reminded that you are greater, that you are greater. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of us for a long time have been striving to be the best we can be at something. I remember um, uh, growing up, one of my favorite uh, cartoons, this will date me in age, but one of my favorite cartoons was G.I. Joe. We were a split house in my house, G.I. Joe and Transformers. So anybody else remember those cartoons? Somebody can Google that if not, but uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers. So G.I. Joe, you know, for me was my thing, and my brother, my older brother, he was a Transformers guy. And, but one of the things I loved about G.I. Joe was, you know, kind of the, the moral of the story for G.I. Joe was, uh, you know, was kind of you were going to do your best. You were going to do your best. And, 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 and doing your best, uh, you were going to learn something, and learning something was half of the battle. That was half of the battle, right? Like, that, if you could learn something in the midst of it, you, got, you were halfway there. Halfway where? Well, halfway to greatness. Halfway to, to the being the best that you could be. And it kind of gave this, this picture and the story. And if you chase, trace that picture and story too far, it creates a lot of hurdles for us. But, but we've grown up with a mentality that said, I've got to be my best. I've got to strive to do my best. I've got to overachieve. You, you guys will follow along in these stories pretty quickly, I'm sure. But... Uh, um, that, that, that idea of, of, of got to be my best, got to do my best, got to overachieve, you know, it, it seems like a, like a morally good thing, right? Like, it seems pretty good. Like, you know, nobody wants to slack, right? Come on, come on. Feedback with me a little bit. You, 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 you want to try to do your best, right? Like, you don't, want, you don't want your pilot when you're on the plane just kind of doing halfway, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest, right? I'm going to take a nap on this one, you know? Like, 
No, uh-uh. Like, I want to know that, that he or she is just crushing it up there, right? Like, I put all confidence in their ability to get me up and down, right? You know, like, so you want to, there, there's, there, you want, we want people who are going to strive to do the best they can. Uh, my, my, uh, w- one of the ways that this story has played out for us is, is uh, in a very young age, right? So our kids are starting to get graded on their homework. Right. And so when uh, when, you know, without any coaching from mom or dad, when one of them comes home with, you know, with a perfect score, they're like, hey, hang this on the fridge, you know, call Grammy and tell her like, this is great. But they, they didn't understand that we get an email saying, hey, your kid's coming home today with their test scores. And so when, when, when the kid comes in the door and they don't say, hey, you know, like call Grammy, tell her what we got. We know what that means, don't we? You know, not not the score that you were as proud of. And so eventually, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes of being home, you say, hey, you know, like, you got your, you got your test folder? And, oh, you know, I, I forgot that at school. Or, you know, I left it at the after school program. They had some excuse not to have it, right? And uh, eventually, eventually, you're getting ready for bed, and you say, hey, you know, I'm just going to go down and put your lunch in your, in your, uh, in your bag. Uh-huh. And then they're like, whoa, the bag. Yeah, that's where that folder was. And then you go down and you see the folder, and you know, and it's not a bad score, you know, it's like, you know, I got two wrong out of 40 or something, They're like, and I, I want to celebrate them, but, but they feel some sense of like, oh, I didn't achieve what I needed to, kind of thing. Well, uh, I, I, guess, I guess why I'm telling all that story is to say this, that mentality goes, uh, kind of carries forward for us, and as, as we read into the scripture about, about recognizing who is the greatest, we got to understand that, uh, that, that that idea of like overachieving is not a new thing. Pushing forward to do our very best is not a new thing. If you got your Bible open, flip over to John chapter 3. Uh, no, sorry, flip over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke chapter 7. Let me hear amen when you get there. It's going to look at one verse real quick, and then we'll get back to John. Luke chapter 7, I heard a couple of amens. All right, I'm looking down in verse 28. You, to help you understand the story, John's, uh, John's disciples are gathered together, and some of John's disciples are going to leave John and are going to begin to follow Jesus. And, uh, and that's a really good thing, and we'll, we'll you know, understand that more later. But John 7, 28, this is what it says. I tell you, among those born... Of women, there is no one greater than John. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is the greatest, is greater than he. Who's telling that story? Do you know? I'll help you. It's Jesus. Jesus is telling a story about John, and he says, Of everyone born naturally, there is no one greater than John. Now, I don't know about you. I've had some things that are pretty nice. I, I had some people say some things about me in my life that are pretty nice. And that feels really good, amen? When somebody says something nice to you, it feels really good. Like somebody complimented me on my hair today. I was like, thank you. Thank you. I worked hard on that this morning, right? You know, like when somebody says something about you that's pretty nice, you're like, man, that, that, that feels good. I, thank you. Can you imagine if the king said, you know what, you are the greatest? Can you just imagine what that would feel like if Jesus himself just looked at you and was like, there's none greater. There is none greater. And I know, I know it's hard to imagine, but just get your mind around this. 
Jesus said about John that there was no one, about John the Baptist, that there was no one greater. And he wasn't the first one to say this about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was known. He had a, he had a testimony about him. He had a, a witness about him that many people were like, that dude is amazing. I will go through the wall for him. I, 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 will, I will follow him wherever he goes. Like, I will do whatever he asks because that guy, wow. Now, there's been a lot of people who have said that about people before, but Jesus himself said that about John the Baptist. I don't know. If somebody like that said that about me, my head might swell up a little bit. I might get a little more like, hmm, yeah. I might, I might, I might believe what they're saying in a way that just kind of, woo, and, uh, and, and, and pride might, might wrestle in. Well, thank the Lord that that wasn't true here, but, but and, and maybe that's partly why, why uh, well, maybe that's not. John chapter, John chapter 1, get there with me, verse, uh, verse, starting at verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. I'll break this down for you real quick. Jewish leaders uh, are, are uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, the Sadducees and Pharisees. If you're trying to understand who the Sadducees and the Pharisees were, the Pharisees would kind of, I'm going to oversimplify. I'm going to oversimplify and I'm the only one with a microphone. All right? So you don't have to agree. You just got to smile and nod, right? The the Sadducees and Pharisees, for oversimplifying purposes for our day today, the Pharisees would have watched Fox News, and the Sadducees would have followed CNN, okay? And they would have gone to the ends of the earth with both of those, right? They would have just looked at the other one and be like, (laughs) I'm not sure you belong on TV. And they would have said that about one another, right? Like, it would have been that... it's an oversimplification, but I want you to understand. They were both people who, who intently were saying, I believe in what I'm about to say. And they were saying the same things from very different perspectives, which contradicted one another. All right? So that's kind of how they were. That's how they were. I hope I didn't lose you on the first illustration today. I hope you were able to go along with me. I hope, so, I hope if you were offended, you'll be able to get past that, right? But there you go. So, so that's kind of how it was, right? The Sadducees and the Pharisees were Jewish leaders. They were leaders within the Jewish church, right? And so they come and they say, I've heard stories about you, John the Baptist. Who are you? Who are you? That's what they're going to ask him. Like, you know, they're, they're really wanting to know, like, what's your DNA? What are you about? And, and, and he, did not fall, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely. This is what he said. I am not the Messiah. So he leads with, I'm not who you think I am. Why, did, why, why would they think, think he was the Messiah? Well, well, Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah. And they had heard testimonies about this guy who was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they were like, I don't even know if they had sliced bread back then. But he was the greatest thing ever, right? And this, this is clearly it. John, are you the one who's going to come and save us? The people from the right said and the people from the left said, are you the one who's going to come and save us? They both had their own agenda if he were to say yes. John, is that who you are? And his response was, that's not who I am. I'm not the Messiah. I don't know about you, but for a minute, if somebody got me confused with the Messiah, I might have tried to cash a check or two. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Everybody was going to throw accolades at this guy. If he said, yeah, yeah, well, yes, yes, I am. Everybody would have said, okay, what do we got to do? And he could have made up his own game plan. Here's how it's going to go down. He 
There have been plenty of people who have done what I just suggested, right? Every cult that exists out there exists on that premise, right? Did you find a leader and you're like, oh, this guy is it, this gal is it, I'll go to the ends with this person, it doesn't matter if it lines up with the word or not. So John, who do you say you are? John knows the testimony about him, the people that follow him. He is somebody important. He leads by saying, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one who's going to bring about salvation. So they asked him, well, if you're not him, then who are you? Maybe you're that Elijah guy. You remember the story about Elijah, right? So Elijah was a prophet who was taken up, right? So maybe you're the Elijah guy. You never died. Maybe, you kept, maybe God sent you back. So you can kind of handle this for us. Nah, that's not who I am. Are you a prophet? No, that's not who I am. 22. Finally, they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. In other words, your testimony has reached some other people who are really important as well. And we got to go back and answer to them. So tell us who you are. There's probably people of power and politics that are concerned with who you are and what your agenda is. So give me something to say, because when I go back there, if I just look at him and say, hey, uh, that John guy is not who we thought he was, but I don't have an answer for who he is. Not going to go well for me. So give me something to give to them. What do you say about yourself? 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I've read this hundreds of times in my 18 years of walking with the Lord, and I've never focused on this before this week. John says, I am the voice. I am the voice. Jesus is the word. John says, I'm a voice. I am meant to proclaim who Jesus is. Watch this. Jesus is the word. John, that's us. We're the voice. Get this. We are the voice. We are the voice. The voice has a purpose. It has value. John says, I am the voice meant to do what? Proclaim who Jesus was. People had gathered together and said, hey, I heard great things about you. You're the greatest. I heard that that Jesus guy even declared that you were amazing. And John could have said, yep. Tell me more. Tell me more. And instead, he says, I'm just a voice. Just a voice meant to prepare the way for the Lord. We could end sermon here. Think about it. We're not going to. Get ready. But think about it. Every one of us called by God to be a voice, a voice that proclaims what? Jesus is coming, prepares the way for Jesus to come. Well, I hope you get this. 24, now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah and you're not the prophet? And John said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you don't know, there it is. Among you, there's one that you don't know. 
And he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where, G where John was baptizing. Among you stands one who you don't know. Who's the one that they don't know? Come on, who's the one that they don't know? Jesus came amongst his people, and yet his people did not know him. He came amongst his own people, and yet his people did not know him. So John says, among you there's one who none of us are worthy to be around. John gives this illustration about sandals. I'm going to break it down for you really quickly. Look, check this out. John had followers. He had disciples, right? And a disciple was somebody who willingly said, they didn't have seminary back then, right? So a disciple was somebody who said, you know what? I value what you're teaching, and so I'm going to walk closely with you for a couple of years, and I'm going to do whatever you ask me. I will be your apprentice. I will be your best friend. I will be behind you. I will be in your tribe. I will do anything you ask me. And I will do everything for you except one thing. There's only one thing I won't do for you. I won't wash your feet. It is the only thing I would not do for you. And a, a, a disciple was the equivalent of a free will slave. A free will slave would have done everything, including washing the feet. A disciple would have followed exactly the same way, looked parallel. I am that bought in. I'll do everything you ask. But because I'm not your slave, I won't wash your feet. I'll do everything up until that. Now, understanding that gives a whole new meaning when Jesus kneels down, huh? When Jesus kneels down before his disciples... And he washes their feet. You might say to yourself, well, why wouldn't he wash their feet? We don't have a lot of time to break this down, but think about it this way. You only had sandals. Birkenstocks, when they were back in the day, if you can remember them or Google them, right? Uh, you just kind of the, the 2,000-year-ago version of Birkenstocks, that was all you had to walk around in. And there were no paved roads. It was just muddy and dirty roads that both people and animals shared. And there was no, there was no sanitation committee. Nobody came through and cleaned the streets. So you walked in it. And most often... You would sleep on the side of the road until you got to the next place where you would event to next town where you eventually had a place to lay down. So you only washed your feet maybe like once every two, three, four weeks. So when you walked in to wash your, when you walked into somebody's house, what you had to do, you had to wash your feet to walk into somebody's house. When you walked in to wash somebody's house, your feet were nasty. I mean, they were just foul. Foul. Right now, my kids don't like wearing socks. And it's kind of, every, we all know it, we all know it. Everybody knows what it's like. You know, you put your sneakers on, you're like, yeah, no big deal, right? You think it's no big deal, right? You know, and you take them off afterwards, you're like, woo, mm, a little ripe in there, right? Right? Some of us are like ripe with socks. Now imagine what it's like without socks, right? Right? And some of you are like, I don't do feet, so pastor, move on from this illustration, right? But, but get it, but get it. Like, so, so, so John says we're not even worthy of being enslaved to him. That's the difference. John is drawing a grand parallel, a, a grand distinction. He says, among you is one who's worthy to be followed, but we're not even worthy of being enslaved to him. That's how much greater than us is he. Think about this. <clears throat> John's testimony is meant to elevate God. It's meant to point to Jesus. It's meant to be something that lifts up. If you're taking notes, I would just write this down. G uh, John gives witness in a way that lifts Jesus up without belittling who he was. Can I, can I speak to some of us who have, uh, who have struggles with, um, with uh, you know, kind of so, uh, the view you have of yourself? Some of us, uh, in, an, in an effort to not be prideful, in an effort to be humble, we overcompensate. 
we belittle or diminish the value that God has given to us already. Get this. John doesn't say, oh, I'm nobody. Oh, I'm just, I'm just a big old pile of mess. Woe is me. People are heaping accolades amongst, uh, 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 onto him. People are celebrating who he is. And he doesn't deny the reality of the things that people say about him. Those things are true. He is somebody of great value, of great purpose, of great intent. He is the one who was meant to declare that Jesus was there. He is the voice that calls in the wilderness. He is the one that the prophet was speaking about hundreds of years before he was to come. He is the one who's satisfying some of the prophecy of Isaiah that prepares the way for Jesus. I mean, John had purpose and value, and he doesn't deny those things. He doesn't say, because Jesus is so great, I'm nothing. He's got identity to who he is. And some of us need to learn from this really quickly because, see, in effort, sometimes we, 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 we see people who are, who are living a way that is greater than us or, or we see somebody who's following Jesus in a way that's more intentional than us or, or we look to Jesus and say, he is perfect and I'm not. And so as a result, we act like we're the bottom of the sandals. We're not. We're the hands and feet of the Savior, right? We're called by God to be the people of God in the world that needs God. Understand that saying Jesus is great doesn't have to say, I am nothing. I am chosen by God. I am a child of God. I am the handiwork of God. I am valued by the king. He declared that I was worth at least this. So I can say those things while still saying he is the only one who could do this. He is the only one who could see this. He is the only one who could declare that. And he is the only one who can satisfy those things in my life. I can draw the distinction that God is great without saying I am nothing. And for some of us who have an issue with self-image, we really struggle with that. I hope you don't shut me out today. I hope you hear me today. If, if, that's, if that word is for you, I hope you receive that today. I hope you write it on your mirror this afternoon. I hope you remember that because, see, you are someone of great value. The king has declared that. The Messiah has determined that. The work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection from the grave has stamped that the Spirit of God present in your life forever, eternal promise. Oh. 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John gives a testimony in, in these four simple words, the Lamb of God. We all know about the story about lambs, right? In the Old Testament, the lamb was the animal that was sacrificed, right? The Old Testament question is, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb, right? Come on, stay with me, right? You're going up the hill, and you're going to sacrifice, and the boy looks at you and says, Dad, where's the lamb? What are we going to sacrifice when we get up there? And Dad says, you know, I don't, God will provide it. God will provide, right? You remember the story, right? And then we, we remember the story of the people of God, or they, they go into town, and they say, hey, you know what? Uh, we're in trouble, and they hide out in town, and, 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 and she keeps them safe, and then she says to them, you know, like, you got to repay me somehow, and they say to her, here's what you need to do, right? Hang something red outside of your room, and get everybody in your house, because in a minute, death is going to come by, but if, the, if, if red is painted on your door, or it's hanging outside your door, you're going to be okay, because the blood of the lamb has that value, Right? 
We understand that when, when, when Old Testament, when, when the people of God would, would go to, to, uh, to, to, to give their offering and their sacrifice, they would bring with them their lamb in exchange for the ritual sacrifice that would then cleanse them for the rest of the year. And they would do this every year because there was value in the blood of the lamb. But then we know that when we get to the New Testament, we come to this communion time, right? And Jesus, who was sacrificed on the cross, drips the blood of God for the people of God that they would be cleansed because the Lamb of God has come that he might be sacrificed one time forever for the people of God. So watch this. Old Testament. The Lamb gave value to the people of the house or the people of the bloodline. Now watch what John says about the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Everybody agrees. Everybody agrees. He's talking to Pharisees and Sadducees. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lamb of God takes away the sin. But then he says, of the world. Mic drop. Everybody's up in arms. Can you believe what he just said? He just said that this Jesus guy who's coming amongst us is the Lamb of God, and we know what the value that the Lamb of God has. But if he is the Lamb of God, then he would take away sin for, 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 the, for his people, for his bloodline. And all of Israel is like, yeah, yeah, that's us. But John says, John the Baptist says, he declares that he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin for the world. In other words, you don't have to be a Jew to receive the blessing that's going to come from the Lamb of God. And when he says that, everybody throws up in arms like, I don't know about this. I don't know if I can buy this. I don't know if I'll agree with this. It doesn't matter what we think about it because the reality is God has declared it. And the beginning of scriptures all the way to the end of scriptures, it points to one promise that Jesus would say to us, no one comes to the Father. Scott said this in worship. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. But there's an open invitation. There's an open invitation. You mean I could be, I could be a Mexican descent and come to the Father? Yeah. And you could be a black African American, come to the Father? Yeah. Somebody just told me this week that they're Swedish. I don't even remember who I was talking to. I was like, that is so cool. You could be Swedish and be invited into the covenant promise of God? Yeah. I mean, the beauty of understanding that Jesus' blood has changed the game. I don't need to paint the blood mark over my doors anymore because I got blood that dripped from a cross. And that was enough for all of us. Can you check this out real quick? You, you don't get the perspective to see it the way I do. Just look around for a minute. Come on, come on, come on. It's, it's good. You point at somebody who's sleeping and wake them up, you know, but look around for a minute. Watch this. This is so cool. There are very few of you that look alike. It's just true. It's true. Skin complexion is different. Hair color is different. Quantity of hair is different. Like, I mean, it's just so cool. But prior to this, the concept of salvation, be av salvation being available to all people was foreign. 
was born. And I want to say to us as the church today that we've, we've come to understand that salvation is available to all ethnicities and nationalities, but I don't think we've really come to understand that salvation is available to all people. Because we still have in our mind that they need to look like this. And we've just changed it from complexion to mannerisms. We've changed it from, you know, the, the, the tongue or the language that they speak with to do they do as I do? That's a Pharisee comment or a Sadducee comment, but it's not John's comment. 30, this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has, uh, has surpassed me because he was before me. John is testifying to the fact that Jesus is, is, Jesus is younger than John. Remember their cousins? He's about six months younger than John. Jesus is six months younger than John. But John says, the one who came after me, that means he's younger than me, actually came before me. Well, how did he come before me? He's making a theological claim. He's telling us that Jesus was eternal, that Jesus goes all the way back to the first page of your Bible. And the first page of your Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was present in that creation story, right? So John is testifying to the eternality of Jesus, even though Jesus is his six months younger. I myself did not know him either, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John's saying, my purpose is that I would continue to reveal to the world that Jesus is the Messiah. So I came baptizing, getting people ready, getting people ready. I'm priming the pump. I'm getting them ready. Crawford came here as one of our new pastors about uh, just about a year ago right now. And uh, when Crawford came in, you know, he was just a, just a bull, man. He was ready to run. He had a bunch of ideas and things that he wanted to do, and he just wanted to, I'm ready to go, pastor. He's like, you know, sign me up. I'm ready. And I said, Crawford, we're going to slow you down just a little bit. Just slow you down a little bit because we got a little bit of work we got to do. We got a little bit of work we got to do. We got to help people understand, understand you coming in with some new ideas and some fresh things you're going to do. And you're going to lead them and you're going to lead them well. But we got to prime the pump. We got to get them ready. And after we get them ready for a couple weeks with those things, then you start rolling out your new ideas. So Christianity 101 was an idea he had the first day he got here. But we ain't let him implement it for the first six months. All right, six months. He's, uh, he's biting at the jump. Like, Come on. I'm ready. I want to get this class going. I want to get this class Get, get them, we'll get them ready, we'll get them ready, and then you roll out the class and people will sign up. It'll be great, right? And that's what happened, and it was great. It was great because sometimes there's work that needs to be done before we get going. We was dreaming about Haiti three years ago. Four years ago was when we started dreaming about it. Two years later, we took our first trip to it, and now here we are two years later, and we're going to take our fourth trip to it. And those things happen because we began to work the field and say, we're going to get ready for something that is great that is yet to come. Look, you showed up today. When you showed up, your blessing wasn't as soon as you walked in the door. You came in as part of the step to saying, I believe that there's a blessing that's ahead of me that I'm going to get to experience, that I'm going to be a part of if I'm just faithful to show up. And hopefully by the end of this day, you find that blessing. That's our trust. I'm going to run out of time here in a minute, so let's move along really quickly. Then John gave the testimony. I saw the one who, was sent, who sent me to baptize with water, and he told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. You remember the story? John is baptizing. Jesus jumps in the water and says, John, baptize me. John, bat John says, I'm not worthy. Jesus says, do it anyway. John baptizes him. And then he waits. And then in that moment, God descends upon him. The dove falls down and the voice of the Father speaks. 
of Jesus and gives testimony that this is that Jesus is indeed uh, God's chosen one. And so John is testifying that, and he's saying, John the Baptist is saying, I saw this, and I give testimony that this is what happened, that this is who Jesus is. Remember the story starts off with them saying, but John, who are you? And John over and over again points to who? Jesus. Over and over again, he says, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. He's not, he's not just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. He's somebody of great value, but he deflects and he says, but Jesus is the primary here. He is the point. He is the one who's meant to be remembered. Forget about me as much as you can. Yes, I've done some things that are great, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus, Jesus is the one. The next day, John was with that, was there again with, the two, with two of his disciples. This is so fun. When he saw Jesus passing by, he yells out, look, there he is. It's the Lamb of God. John, you can imagine him getting excited. He's like, this is it. This is it. The Lamb of God. There he is. When two of his disciples heard him say this, you see what it says? <laughs> oh, man. You, you know what's depressing for me as a pastor? No, you don't, so let me tell you. One of, the things that, one of the things that's depressing for me as a pastor is when somebody doesn't show up to church. Oh, man, that's such a letdown. I walk this church every Sunday morning, and uh, I lay a hand on every pew, and I pray. I pray for the people who normally sit in those pews because you kind of, I don't know if you know this, but you most often sit in the same spots. And uh, so I pray for the people who normally sit in those pews, and I pray for people who might, who might be joining us who are going to sit in those pews, right? And, I'm, and I celebrate, and I'm excited about those things, right? And you know it's so depressing when I see a pew, and I'm like, oh, they didn't show up today. And I know them. And I, and I wonder where they are. Now, now look, it's not about me, but this, I imagine that's true for a lot of pastors, and that's probably true for a lot of you as well. You think about that when you don't see one of your friends in church on Sunday. So I can't imagine what this moment is like for John. John's like, hey, guys, look, Jesus is here. And two of his best friends are like, deuce, I'm out. <laughs> and they leave, literally. They're just like, all right, John. Cool, it's been great following you. You remember how intently and closely I told you that people followed their, the, their disciple, right? So they were that close with John. I mean, they were breaking bread at home. They were, they were sleeping in close proximity. They were, they were hanging out. They, they knew what John smelled like. I mean, they were that close together. Yeah, now you all with it, right? They were that close together. But when Jesus walked by, you know what they did? They said, John, you've been telling us about him the whole time, and there he is. We got to go. We got to go. And the story doesn't say John stomped his feet and said, get back here. What are you doing? Forget everything I said about Jesus. It seems like John was on board with that idea. It seems like John was like, yeah, like this is it. You, you're doing what we hoped you would do. You're following after Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Jesus kind of chuckles within. The son of man has no place to lay his own head. Right? That's, that's one of the things Jesus says. Chuckles within. He says, uh, well, come and see. So they went. And they saw where he was staying. And they spent the whole day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon at that point. This is so fun. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You guys remember who Simon Peter is? For those who are new to the Bible, Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. He's kind of the bigger guy, stronger guy, thicker head guy. Like everything, everything that Peter does, he's like so excited about. 
but you kind of, he's kind of slow on the trigger for learning sometimes, but quick on the trigger for action, right? He's the guy who's in the garden with Jesus, and somebody comes to arrest Jesus, and, John, and he jumps up, he's like, watch what I'm about to do. And he reaches in his shoe, and he pulls out a pocket knife. He's like, and takes the guy's ear off. It's a true story. And for those who don't know the, the miraculous power of God, the Bible says that Jesus reaches down in the dirt, picks up the ear, puts it back on the guy's head, and then looks at Peter and says, oh, man, you're silly. You're silly, what you did. Anyway, back to the story. So Peter's not yet following Jesus. Andrew, who is Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard about John, who, he who heard what John had said, and who had left and went in to follow Jesus. And the first thing that Andrew did, oh, you got your Bibles there? Are you with me? The first thing that Andrew did, this is 41, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon Peter, and tell him, we've just found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought him to follow Jesus. I'm out of time today, so here's what i got to say. Peter, his introduction to Jesus came not through some great story, not through some miraculous work that he saw done, not because his brother Andrew had knew everything about Jesus. His brother Andrew had met Jesus four hours ago. Four hours with Jesus, and Andrew's response was, I don't want my brother to die without knowing who this Jesus guy is. And he runs to him, and he pleads with him, and he says, Peter, Peter, remember what I told you about Peter? Peter's a little slow on the trigger, right? Like he, I mean, he's quick on the trigger, but he's a little slow to learn. So he's, 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 behind, he's before his big brother. He's like, brother, 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 you don't get it. Brother, you don't get it. And Peter's like, well, tell me about it. He's like, I don't know how to tell you anything. There's nothing I can say other than four hours ago I met this guy, and you got to go see him. You got to go see him. You got to go see him. And I can imagine him getting behind him and, like, pushing him along. And maybe some of you will resonate with this because you've got a friend or you've got a neighbor or you've got a kid or you've got a family member who you've been trying to bring to Jesus forever and ever and ever, and it just seems like they're slow on the run. And I want to just say to you today, be faithful to it. He didn't know all the answers. He didn't know how to say. He didn't know how to respond. If, if his brother looked at him and said, well, what about this or what about that? Or, or, or how is heaven and hell? And how do they go together? He didn't look at him and say, I've got all the answers. He simply said, four hours ago, I met this guy, and I don't want you to die without knowing him. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. And he invited him. And you know what? Finally, Peter said, all right, let's go. And he was overcome by the Savior, the compelling love of the Savior. And he follows Jesus to the point where he ends up being one of the most faithful disciples. The scripture says that he was so faithful to Jesus that he was willing to die on a cross, but deemed himself unworthy to die in that way and died upside down. Committed his life because his younger brother said, I met this guy four hours ago. You got to come see him. John's gospel invites you and invites me to answer this question. Where is the lamb? Jesus is the lamb book of Revelation tells us, and the Lamb is worthy of our praise. I want to invite you, church, as we continue on in this study, to be mindful, thinking about who is Jesus in our life? Who am I inviting to know him? How am I helping someone to hear the story of the love of God present, present in relationship with Jesus? 
I didn't get a chance to point to this, so I'll just tell you this so you can write it down. John 3.30. We'll come to it in a couple weeks, but this is a note for you. John 3.30. John, the gospel writer, says this. He says, I, I must decrease so that Jesus may increase. This week, my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would be able to say, I'm someone of great value, but the greatest thing I can do is be a voice, a voice to the word of God who came that we might have life. Let's pray. Father God, oh, Father God, God, would you continue in us? Would you give us the ability to be the voice? The voice simply said, come and see. Come and see. I'm doing a great work for him, not for me. It doesn't matter what people have said about me. It doesn't matter how much accolades people have heaped upon me because the reality is those things are meant to point to the one who's come that we might have life and that that life might be abundantly full. Father, there's probably some here today who haven't yet surrendered their life, their will, and their way to you. And God, we don't, we don't have time, nor, nor is there enough time in the day to, to declare all the truths of you. So I simply declare this truth. Come and see. Take that next step. Say yes to allowing Jesus into your life. And if you'll do that, if you'll say yes, Jesus, I let you into my life. Jesus, I receive you. Then Jesus has promised us the presence of, of the Holy Spirit that he will never leave us that he will continue to woo us, to draw us, to disciple us, to develop us, to grow us in a forever relationship with him. Your days will still be tough. The trials will still be there. But there will be someone now that you can depend upon. There will be someone now that you can turn to. You will never be alone. There will be someone who is forever in your corner and yet is still ahead of you. I mean, that's what John said about Jesus, right? He said, he came after me, yet he's still ahead of me. Oh, Father, I pray that every one of us this day would simply be able to say, Jesus, you're the Lord, the Lord of my life, directing my steps and leading me in this forever relationship. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the beauty of your word and the promise that we have you forever. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.